Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited you could join me today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of Silicon Alley. And today, I sit down with Kelly Burgess, the CEO and founder of Burgeon Co. Marketing. On today's episode, Kelly spills the keys to digital marketing, including SEO, content marketing, and beating the algorithms without compromising your user experience. Running a marketing agency, Kelly sees a lot of companies marketing, and she shares the number one mistake that most people make when marketing their business. You'll also hear her story of how she quit her job to start the business while she was in the midst of buying and closing on her first house, and how from day one, Kelly's incorporated community give back into everything that Burge & Co. does. Before we get started, go ahead and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when episodes drop every Friday. And a little background on Kelly. Kelly Burgess is the CEO and founder of Burgeon Co. Marketing with almost a decade of content marketing experience and SEO experience. She specializes in helping healthcare companies drive in new patients by building proactive digital patient journeys and sharing authentic, trust-provoking content. She's been featured in Fortune, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Bloomberg Businessweek as one of the leading women-owned businesses in marketing and is a member of the Private Women CEO Group hosted by Forbes Magazine. And Burgeon Co-Marketing has been named one of the top 10 SEO agencies in the country by 2020, in 2020 by MarTech Outlook. Kelly has unlocked the secret of digital marketing success. On average, clients of Burgeon Co-Marketing experience a 200% ROI quarterly for new patients and typically rank on the first page of Google search results for their geo-targeted areas. To preserve brand integrity, the Burgeon Company team only works with clients whose missions they completely align with and they regularly take on passion projects to help invest back into the community. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this marketing-focused episode of the Silicon Alley podcast featuring the Kelly Burgess. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Ellie, welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Yes, yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to speak for a couple of reasons. One, we've known each other since college and seeing your progression is really awesome. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your experience with the business and just journey in general. Yeah, yeah. I think it's... I, when you reached out, I did not realize how long it had been, um, but it's 10 years. It, it's been about 10 years since yeah. I've been back at college, or at least since I have. You're a few years younger. But yeah, I hit that decade mark and uh, kind of took me by surprise. So yeah. it's changed since then. <laughs> it has. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious. Uh, one of the things that uh, that you noted is that you've actually learned a lot from podcasts. And um, can you talk a little bit about that, your favorite podcast and why podcasts have helped you along your entrepreneurial journey and kind of start there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband is a big podcaster. Uh, I was never really into it. I'll be very honest. I was never into it until we started building this business. And he told me about this show on NPR, of course, because he's, yeah, it, that's his jam. So uh, he told me about the guy Raz, how I built this. And it's, you, you know, it. it's where they just interview all of these like entrepreneurs who have made it huge and they go through like kind of their struggles to get there. And so I started listening to it and it just resonated with me to the point where like, actually, when we have our leadership meetings, uh, Haley is my COO. And so we started listening to these podcasts together and like, 
when we have our leadership meetings, if we ever run into like this massive obstacle, so like COVID for us, for a lot of businesses, massive obstacle. And it's like, okay, we've got to like move things around. We've got to change the way that we're doing things. And, and we always call it like our, how I built this moment, because inevitably in that show, Guy Raz is like, so like, this was your kind of make or break moment and tell me what you did. And so we always go into these situations and we're like, okay, this is our, how I built this moment. What are we telling Guy Raz? It like forces us to problem solve and, and kind of like takes the pressure off of it because we're already coming at it from this like success mindset. But yeah, no, that is hands down our favorite podcast. Uh, the Patagonia one like speaks to our souls of how that business is run. <laughs> that's awesome. Why do you find that so effective? Like what are some of the key things that that strategy or, or tactic is so effective? And I think this is true across all podcasts. I I don't think that this is exclusive to the, how I built this one. It's just something that we love, but um, I think podcasts in general, just the ability to hear people's stories. um, It makes whatever you're going through in life. So relatable. So like, even if it's not an entrepreneurial podcast, um, we have a lot of clients who have podcasts of their own. So a lot of them are centered around, uh, we work a lot in the mental health space, the healthcare space. So just people sharing their stories And those types of podcasts have just spread like wildfire because there's something about the human spirit that just resonates when you hear someone else experiencing the same things, good, bad, or ugly, and, you know, getting through to the other side of it, you just, you glean so much information. And I feel like it kind of builds this community, like this virtual community, because you, you have resonated with whatever you're hearing. Um, So it's just like this really powerful thing that podcasts can do. Um, But yeah, that's, we love them. So Kelly, off the back of that, can you talk a little bit about, you you kind of alluded to it earlier, but how did the business start? What led you to start the business? Yeah. Talk about the the early stages. Oh God. Okay. So the early stages. um, So I was always in marketing. Um, I got my degree in English and communications. I knew that I wanted to get into some kind of marketing, uh, but I had no idea what it was. So my first job right out of college was actually like this mom and pop insurance agency, uh, which had nothing to do with marketing. But uh, I'm pretty sure the conversation that I had with the owners who were wonderful people um, was you know, basically you're young and we need social media and like you, you have a Facebook so you can do this right <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. No, I can totally do that um, because I really thought that I could. Um, and then I got in there and realized that Facebook for business is a totally different algorithm than just posting cool pictures of yourself. So um, I started really diving in because I'm a type A personality. And if someone's paying me to do something, damn it, I'm going to do it. And so (laughs) I started diving in and teaching myself how to do this. Um, And it was right around the time that like SEO was becoming this really big buzzword. Uh, So that's search engine optimization. I'm sure most people are familiar, Um, but it's basically all of the algorithms in the back end of websites that when you type in a search and, you know, Google pops up with all those results, that's the magic that makes it happen. So SEO was starting to become this buzzword. And so I downloaded the SEO handbook from Google, which was like 300 and some odd pages. It just like read it in my free time because I wasn't married yet and we didn't have kids. So there was a ton of time (laughs) to read this. Um, So I just like read it and fell in love with it. Um, with just like the analytical and creative like blends that Google uses. And I just fell in love with the side of marketing. So I pursued a career in it. um, And then I got at 25, I was promoted to being a manager of this huge company in Tampa and running their marketing department, doing great things. And we were just getting ready to sign on our first house, which is like this huge deal for us. So we like got all the mortgage papers ready and we're getting ready to sign 
And like the day before we closed on the house, I, I'm a very religious woman. I just felt like this was one of those like God spoken moments where it was like, okay, start your own business. Like I knew it was somewhere on the horizon for me. I'd always dabbled with the idea, but it was like, that was the moment. And so I remember we signed our papers on a Saturday for our new house. The Friday before we signed, I like walked in and turned in my two weeks notice. (laughs) So we actually signed the mortgage with not like there was no job. Um, It was just Ryan who had a job. (laughs) And, you know, bless his heart. He was like, well, if you feel like this is what you need to do, let's do it. And so um, we did. And I just remember like I called up every contact I had and was just like, hey guys, I'm freelancing. Like I didn't even call it a business. I had no idea. I was just like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm just freelancing now. Um, so I told everyone that I was a freelancer. And within a month, I had already replaced, like I I have a great community and, and I had no problem asking for favors. You know, if, if you know people in certain industries, call on them. Everyone's so willing to help. Um, so yeah, I just called everyone that I knew. Um, they were so kind. They sent me a ton of work. And by month three, I had actually had to hire on our first employee, uh, which is Haley, who's our COO now. So I hired in Haley because I was so swamped with work. Um, and then a few months after that, we hired a, a second employee and we just kept rolling. And honestly, we have not slowed down yet. So it's been really, been, it's been really nice and really fun um, and a little crazy. So that's how we started. <laughs> Yeah, Kelly, that's awesome. Super incredible that you got to this point where you're about to sign on your first house. And oh, Lord, can, can you talk about? So, you mentioned, you know, faith is a big part of mm-hmm. the business and your life. Yeah. Um, you also referenced Patagonia earlier and you're very oh, yeah. socially driven. So, can you talk a little bit about that, how that affected your decision making? Yeah. So, right off the bat, I mean, we are very community focused. So, um, with every client that we help, Um, Well, first off, we got very specific about who we wanted to help. Um, And I say this not to sound arrogant, but just we're very good at what we do. And so if we are going to market a product or convince someone to spend money somewhere, we don't want it to be something that's just superficial, uh, which is what really drove us into the healthcare, the mental health space. If if we are going to put our efforts into, you know, promoting businesses, let it be good businesses who help people, not just buy the next pair of sunglasses. Look, I love sunglasses. I have nothing against it, but that just wasn't our MO. That wasn't our passion. So um, so we were very specific about where we wanted to be and how we wanted to use our talents. Um, And with that, we do a lot of community give back. So um, even during COVID, like we found uh, restaurants, like family-owned restaurants in uh, Tampa and Nashville, that's where our offices are. And we were just buying up gift cards from these restaurants and just giving them to families who were struggling. So like we would post it out on social if anyone needed any extra help, like just here, here's a gift card. Um, and they didn't even have to contact us. All they had to do was just call the restaurant and like it was already set up, just go get some food. And, and it was helping local businesses. And um, all of our employees are encouraged to like find community or organizations that they love. And so we have like these give back initiatives constantly, whether it's free marketing or, you know, supporting their business in, in different ways that they need it. Uh, that's always been kind of a lifeblood of what we do. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that, that you've got that community social give back built into the built yeah. into the the DNA of the business. Oh yeah. When you were making those initial calls, when you made the decision to, to, to well, I, I feel like I need to do this. Let's let's go for it. Yeah. 
I'm assuming that a lot of those contacts still fit into that kind of bucket of social get back. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you uh, how you were able to build in the early days just off the cold calls and, and scale from yeah. nothing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, so I'll be honest, um, we didn't do a ton. We Well, we didn't, we didn't. Our give back initiative was not as robust as it is Um you know, now as, as it was in the beginning, Um, but we were still able to kind of work it in there. So what would actually happen? uh, So when we started, like I said, I was just kind of telling people that I was a freelancer. I didn't really know what this was going to grow into. Um, I'd never run a business before. So I was kind of learning as I go. I think we're all still learning as we go as entrepreneurs. Um, And so I was just, I honestly was charging the freelancers rate when this first started. And so the idea of having anything to give back. I mean, we give 10% off the top every single month. Um, and it's not, it's, it's uh, 10% off of uh, revenues that come in every single month we give back to the community. Um, so we were doing that in the very beginning. That's always been a staple that we believe. Um, but outside of that, I couldn't ask my team to do any extra work on these nonprofits because we didn't have the band power. Um, or the manpower. So I was just uh, working on it on my own. So like we would have our normal clients and then I would stay up super late and just do all this community work. Um, But it was great. And then we started building it into like how we run and and making sure that our resources were correct. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how we started with it. But a lot of my contacts were in the healthcare field already. So reaching out to them and just saying like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing this. Um, and just asking if they had any work or if they just wanted to set up a meeting. Um, and like I said, you know, people were really, really helpful right off the bat. So it was, we were very fortunate. Yeah. Kelly, I think one thing that really stands out that, that I really admire uh, your story is that it's very easy, especially starting something new to have that kind of imposter syndrome. And even though you were using the term freelance, right? calling it a business yet you still had you know the gumption to to call up all the contacts that you had from your previous job and say hey Listen, like, the I- imposter syndrome was still there <laughs> okay <laughs> totally still there I remember distinctly and I didn't even know it was called imposter syndrome I knew nothing I still know nothing but I knew less than than I do now and I remember I was 26 when I started the business And my husband and I had gone on a trip to Iceland like six months after the business started. I was like, I'm going to unplug for two weeks and go have my birthday in Iceland because that was a good idea, Um, which it was. We had an excellent trip, but oh, that was early in the business to unplug for two. (laughs) We were not ready. And um, but I remember in that moment, I like I turned 27 on that trip and I had a lot of my meetings because it's healthcare. A lot of my meetings are like me in boardrooms with a typically older um, generation running these, these meetings. And, um, and so it's very intimidating in the beginning. It's not these days, but I remember I had this moment of like, well, I'm 27 now I can walk into these boardrooms and like, I, I can do this. (laughs) I don't know why that like resonated so much with me, but I was like, I'm not 26 anymore. I'm 20. Like I can do this now. It was nothing had actually changed, but man, that imposter syndrome was so real in the early days. (laughs) (laughs) How did you, so it sounds like you had pep talk, like you had this pep talk in your mind, right? Where you turned 27, were there other strategies or things that you used or maybe even still use um, to, to like get you excited for meetings? Yeah. So one thing that's really helped us um, is every Sunday, Haley and I do a leadership meeting. 
And in that meeting, we obviously talk about a lot of big picture stuff, a lot of strategy, normal leadership things, but we always kick it off with our why. And we always come back to the people we help and the community organizations that we help. And like, we bring it back in every time because for us, that's our driver. And so like, we can solve these like big picture issues in our organization all day long. Like we can focus on that. But it doesn't get us fired up the way that like relating what we're doing to why we're doing it does. And so every single Sunday we have these these meetings where we just focus it in on why. Um, and it's been a really helpful. We've noticed a difference. We I will admit there was a season where we did not do that and things were kind of stagnant. Um, especially during COVID, we got into like this problem solving because things were just shifting so quickly. And so we were problem solving, but we weren't talking about why we were doing what we were doing anymore. And we got really burnt out. We had to bring it back in this year. It was, it was a little, it was a little bit difficult. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. Getting away, getting away from the why. I'm curious, have you, have you always thought that way? Was that something that you used in your, your previous job? where you started the business, like, cause that's, I mean, you hear Simon Sinek talk about like, I was just going to say Simon Sinek. So my father-in-law, I love this man dearly. He is a bookworm. And so every day he gets so excited. Haley is actually my sister-in-law. Um, so she, yes, yes. So this is a family affair. Um, so she has her degree in, um, internal organization. And so that's why she's our COO. She has been trained in how to run internal businesses. Um, so that's perfect because I have no experience in that whatsoever. I'm just really great at marketing. So we blend really well. Um, and the goal has always been as long as Thanksgiving dinner isn't awkward, we're good here. We can keep this rolling. So, (laughs) uh, but our father-in-law, um, we both married into the Burgess side. So um, our father-in-law is super bookworm. He's always been so excited to watch Haley and I build this. Um, So he actually got us our our first year in, I think it was pretty early in. He got us the Simon Sinek um, book about it's what is your why or why, or I can't remember what it's called. It's right here on my shelf. Um, Start with why Simon Sinek. It's right above me. Um, Yeah. So he got us that book and that was like the game changer for us of like, oh, right. Like we always knew what our why was, but we didn't really focus on it until we read that book. And and then we were like, oh, we should bring this up regularly because it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I I, I love the application. (laughs) It's easy. I feel like at this point he's he's done a great job of going viral, so to speak. And a lot of people recognize that, but actually applying it um, it's really interesting to hear how you, how you guys actually apply it in the business. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really good. We love that book. <laughs> Kelly, one other thing that I'm really picking up is that you love learning, right? Diving in, reading the hundreds of pages of, of SEO document on, on Google, like talk to me about that and just how you taught yourself this stuff. Well, you know, the fun thing about SEO is that you can only learn so much and then it's a lot of trial and error um, because it's constantly shifting. And so um, anyone, side note, as a business owner, anyone who tells you that they are perfect at SEO or tries to sell you on that, run the other way because it's always shifting. Um, Google algorithms change month over month. Um, So, you know, that's, I think that is kind of why I love being in this industry because, you know, there's, you can read and read and read all day long and you're never going to know everything. Um, so it's like a compilation of reading and getting your hands dirty and doing the AB tests. And it just, man, if you love learning, this is the right industry for it. SEO. I, I can't tell you how many, um, unfortunately I've seen a lot of business owners hire a CEO expert and 
see a bunch of bot traffic or Ooh, things yeah. like that, um, whether yeah. it's on social media or YouTube or things like that. And just a lot of money down the drain because <laughs> it seems that, especially if you're not familiar, that, uh, that you can waste a lot of money because SEO is not a short-term strategy. Uh, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So by the time that you're supposed to be seeing results, I mean, it's, you've already sunk so much money into it that if the company isn't providing, it's, it's a big loss if, if it's not done correctly. Yeah. But if it is done correctly, it's like this beautiful evergreen return on investment. So, you know, you just got to vet people well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Any advice on how to, how to vet people or, you know, what to look for um, if you want to hire out help with uh, SEO? Yeah. um, I would say there's a couple of things. One is that you should always ask for results, um, which seems like an obvious thing. But when I say results, like get a hard name of a client and call that client. Um, because it's really easy for someone to say, oh, we drove X amount of traffic to so-and-so's website. And they probably did, but who's to say that that was qualified traffic? Like what's the actual return on investment? So don't get drawn in by these flashy numbers of traffic and, and so many keywords on the top page of Google. All of that stuff is great, but what you really want to look for in a good SEO company is how much of that traffic was actually qualified are they reaching the target audience and are they inspiring that target audience to actually buy your product or service, right? So what's the conversion rate and what's the return on investment? Those are the only two questions you need to be asking an SEO company and the good ones will be able to provide that information. The other thing that you want to um, ask about is their user experience, right? So a lot of SEO companies are very big into like keyword targeting and and that's a necessity. It's it's absolutely a necessity, but Oftentimes you get into a situation where they value keywords over a user experience on your site. And, um, and it results in this really high bounce rate because people go to your website and they're not seeing any kind of content that's engaging. They're just seeing like keyword heavy, you know, analytical content. And it's not great. And so they'll go to your site and then they'll bounce off and Google will start thinking that your site is spammy because no one's interacting with it and you'll actually be penalized for it. So um, make sure that they're talking about user experience and, and the user journey on your site more than they're talking about keyword placement. So those are my two pieces of advice. Yeah, no, it's really, really good advice. And I think it's easy to get caught in the numbers and not think about the person yeah. behind the search. Yeah. And those numbers sound great. So it's, it's easy to get sucked into it, but yeah, it's at the end of the day, you can have millions of people on your site, but if they're not buying your product, then you haven't really moved forward. Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great point, right? That conversion rate is super, super critical, not just getting people to your website, Um, right? You could have a million people walk into a Walmart, but if no one ever bought anything, they would go out of business. So exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Kelly, in terms of, um, the, the focus on healthcare, you kind of talked about this around mental health and mm-hmm. this being really important to you guys. Can you talk about why healthcare and what are some of the key things within the healthcare industry that um, you really, really enjoy? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, mental health, I think, I think we can all agree that there has not been enough done around getting mental health information just really accessible and normalized to people. Um, So obviously that's starting to shift, which is a beautiful shift in the industry. Um, But in the past, it's been lacking a bit. Um, So just getting mental health information out there. We work with a lot of um, clinics that address uh, alcoholism, addiction, rehab, things like that. Um, There's always a mental health component that goes uh, with those types of addictions. Uh, So we like to touch on both of those. Um, And healthcare is the same where, you know, 
there hasn't been a ton done in the marketing side of healthcare that makes information really accessible to patients. I mean, think about, you know, in the grand scheme of the internet, think about how relatively new WebMD is, right? Like that came out when, oh God, like we were in college. So that's, that's been within the last decade. I'm going to date myself really bad here, but it's been within the last 10 years, right? Like that hasn't always been a staple. And that was kind of leading the WebMD was kind of leading the way for this, like resource-driven patient empowerment is, is what we have to call it, where patients have the ability to like actually look up things online and find out information for themselves and not have to rely solely on a doctor to tell them what their healthcare is. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what drew us in is really empowering people to live their best lives. Um, so that starts with your physical health and your mental health. Um, so until all of our work is done in these spheres, which I don't think it ever will be, but like, <laughs> this is where we're going to live. There's a lot of work to do here. Yeah. No, that's really, really interesting, Kelly. And like, even with WebMD, it really hasn't changed a tremendous amount since it was founded. No, not since its inception. (laughs) So from a patient experience perspective, I feel like there's a lot of work to be done, you know, because I think about, you know, WebMD is where you go. It's a Google search. And so imagine if, you know, if if you were a doctor, we work with a lot of physical therapists um, and like spine surgeons, things like that. So people really, the audience there is people who are living with chronic pain. So imagine if you are someone who is living with chronic pain, and instead of going to WebMD to look for all of these resources, you found someone like a spine surgeon site, and they had all of this information on there of like, here's your symptoms, here are things that you can do at home, here's treatment options, here's, you know, the slew of what you can find on WebMD. Imagine if that lived on someone's site you would trust them a lot more than just going to their site and being like, Hey, spend thousands of dollars on spine surgery. Trust me. I'm good. Right. Like why isn't that resource content built there? Because that's really, I mean, this day and age, your digital experience is your first impression with a patient. So you have to get that resource out there and empower people so that they feel connected and they feel that trust right off the bat. Otherwise they're never going to come in to see you. Yeah. No, that's a really, yeah. Really great perspective. Um, (laughs) I'm curious, do you, do you battle? And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear like the perspective from a, a, you know, your clients, if sometimes a patient comes in and has dead set that they have some sort of illness or whatever it is that they know that, that they know what it is and they just need X, Y, or Z. How do you no. balance the education from the over authority that I know everything on the patient side? <laughs> I am certain that it happens. Um, blessedly, if it does, it doesn't happen enough to where we've had that feedback. So okay. <laughs> I am 100% sure that that happens though. I think that's going to be a constant anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. So I say that because I've been that patient before. So totally, I- me too. Yeah. Yeah. I experienced that um, with our daughter. I have a 16 month old. And so whenever she gets like the sniffles, I'm like Googling everything. So by the time I call the pediatrician, I'm like, okay, well, I think it's this, this, and this. And he's like, no, bring, just bring her in. Just bring her in. (laughs) Slow your roll. (laughs) But yes, no, that WebMD empowerment, it really, it resonates. So Kelly, how do you balance family? You, you know, you alluded to your, your 16 month old. How, how do you balance family, the business? You're growing, you're, you're mm. doing all these great things in the community. Like, how do you do it? Oh man. Okay. Um, well, I don't. I'm going to be fully honest because I think that this is where podcasts resonate when you get to those nitty gritties. Um, I do not. I do not balance it. Um, but we do the best that we can. Um, so we legitimately, like, I kid you not right here at my desk, I have a priority board. Oh, 
I just saw my green screen a little bit, but I do have a priority board where um, right now, and this is going to change, I assume once we get out of COVID and once our daughter gets older and we have more help. Um, but right now we're both working from home and uh, we have a little bit less community than we were expecting in these early stages of parenthood because of COVID. That's cool. Yeah. Everyone's in this boat. This is where we're all at and that's fine. However, it's caused us to be very, very picky about where our time goes because we're not going to get it all done today. And so we have a literal priority list that we sat down. We sound like crazy people, but we had to do this for us um, where we sat down and we said, okay, top priorities here, they are in order. And so when something comes up, it's like, where does this fit? Because it's not a, can we fit it in? It's okay. What are we moving off of our plates to make this fit? And is it worth moving that off of our plates? So that's where we're balancing right now. <laughs> and it's also, I will say, it's really easy with both of us working from home. It's easy to get into those late night working. And we've done that. Like, yeah. I am not against those late nights, but it's not sustainable. And so we do have hard cutoffs like today, for example, today, Friday, date night, uh, which these days looks like ordering sushi in and watching WandaVision on Disney Channel because we're <laughs> obsessed with the Avengers. I had never seen any Avengers movie until COVID hit. And we had nothing to do and we've watched all of them and I'm hooked now. So that's, so all of that to say Friday nights, hard cut at five o'clock. It is date night, Wednesday night. I will work late. That's fine. But we have our boundaries. <laughs> gotcha. No, I love that. Yeah. And I appreciate you uh, talking about some of the challenges. Is there, are there any other challenges when you think about, you know, your journey, you mentioned kind of with COVID getting away from the why for a little while, but what challenges have you faced? From a business perspective, when COVID hit, it was really interesting for us because we both had the fortunate and difficult position that because we were in healthcare, you know, the fortunate side is that all of our clients were okay. I mean, it's healthcare. So that's not going away, um, especially not now. The difficult side was that we work in elective healthcare. So, um, you know, yes, rehab wouldn't really be considered elective, but spine surgeons, physical therapy, that's elective. Um, and so at first they weren't even part of the mandate where they could stay open. So a lot of these businesses closed. And so we had this situation where I'm so proud of my team it is unbelievable. In three days, we stood up virtual physical therapy platforms and connected it to all of the marketing efforts across the board for like 87 locations. We set it up in three days. I don't think my web team slept. I don't think I slept. Like my poor husband, I was like 2 a.m. <laughs> like it was just, we had to get it up because this was this critical moment of like, they could go under, like they just lost all of their clients in one foul swoop. And it was crazy because our biggest client is this like national physical therapy company. They own a, just a, a ridiculous amount of locations across the country um, and several brands that work under this umbrella. And so, you know, Q1 right up into COVID, we had hit a 300% ROI for them. Like they spent 90,000 on marketing with us and we brought in 270,000, actually a little bit more than that in new patients for them. So not even like recapturing their old patients, but like brand new patients, 300% ROI. It was the best quarter we had ever had with them. And then COVID hit right at the end of Q1. And we were like, oh God, we're going to lose all of this traction that we built for them. Um, so we stood up those virtual platforms in three days. And I will say at the end of the year, it wasn't the best growing year. 
but they still grew by 2%. And listen, I'm going to call that a victory because a lot of businesses, especially a lot of elective healthcare businesses lost patients and they didn't recover well. And so to maintain their current patient load and grow even just a little bit, that was a really beautiful win. And I apologize. I said the end of the year, what I meant was the end of Q2. It was June when we took those stats again. I don't know why I said end of the year, but so from April to June, end of Q2, wow. yeah. it had really recaptured and grown slightly. Uh, by the end of the year, I apologize. The stat for that was 27% is what they ended up growing last year, despite COVID. Um, so, you know, it's, it was challenging. I will say that was one of the biggest challenges, um, but my team is fantastic. And I, you know, they just, they don't run away from challenges. We have a lot of entrepreneurial minded people on the team and we hire it that way for a reason. Yeah. Um, so that when things like this hit, they just hit the ground running. I love that Kelly. Yeah. How, how do you, hi- like, how do you hire the right people? Because it sounds like the team is absolutely critical. God, they're so good. You mentioned, <laughs> you know, I think you've got a unique work culture when it comes to community and, you know, but how do you, how do you view um, bringing on team members, hiring, and then also like creating a strong culture? Yeah. So I will say a lot of that falls under Haley's jurisdiction. Um, okay. We definitely talk about it together and I can, I can speak to it all day long, but I have got to credit Haley with the culture that we have because she just goes above and beyond of like making sure that everyone stays connected. She really takes the time to like find out like what people like individually. She, we do like a reward system and she's always really good about like, even when it comes to birthday gifts or like, Hey, good job gifts or whatever that is. Like she gets really personalized with them. She's so good at keeping our team together in our company culture. Um, but the one thing that we decided when, when we had to do our first hire, like three months into business. So we had no idea, uh, still what we were doing. Um, I don't even think that we had registered as an S corp yet. I think we were still like in this weird in between where like I was a freelancer, but I had contractors where it probably wasn't kosher, but we got it all sorted out. Um, so we really, we had no idea what company culture was. Um, so we like, we figured out what our core values were. We were like, all right, we're a company. So companies have core values. So, uh, we figured out what that was and, um, and we hired for core values. Um, and I had always heard like you hire and fire by your values. And I didn't really understand what that meant until we were put in that position. Um, but we started really looking for people who had those core values because we can get anyone training, coaching, we can teach anyone anything, you know, there's enough resources in the world that anyone can be trained if they have, you know, enough of a foundation, but we cannot train core values. You either have them or you don't. And so that's kind of what we've started doing. Um, We've made some mistakes along the way, but the team that we have now all represents our core values. And that's, I think that's why we work so well together. Yeah. Kelly, what are your core values? <laughs> oh man, you know what? I'm going to be very embarrassed that I don't know them off the top of my head, but hold on. I will pull them up because we just, we literally just went through this training. Have surely you've heard of the book traction? Yeah. 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 Okay. So we have a business coach. We're going through the EOS process. Now um, we joke because we've like uh, the first three years, we did what I like to call gorilla growth where we just like grew drastically and didn't have our feet under us for any of it. Um, And then COVID hit and we were like, okay, there's some, there's some pretty big holes in our foundation here. Like we've (laughs) got to get the right coaching in here because we're growing too fast. And um, it was starting to like, we were hitting some hiccups because we didn't have the right pieces in place to scale. And uh, so anyway, so we started doing this coaching, this EOS training. So 
our core values because we just agreed on them. So you're actually the first to hear our new core values. So uh, number one is we never miss a deadline. So if we are still breathing, our work will be turned in on time. We do not miss deadlines. It has always been, I've been a stickler for deadlines. It rings true. Um, and we have had this as a higher fire issue in the past before. So we do not miss deadlines. Uh, number two is that we are always willing to take on new challenges. So we will step out of the box to learn new things. We will not take no for an answer. We will push the limits. Um, and if we have to make new rules to do it, we will make new rules to do it. Uh, but we will take on those new challenges. Uh, we maintain integrity, honesty, and accountability for ourselves and our work. So whether we have someone, you know, expecting a little or a lot, it doesn't matter. It's all getting regarded the same exact way because our name is on the line and we understand the value of reputation. And we always say our reputation outweighs our profit every single time. If our name is on it, we're doing it right. Uh, we value modesty and humility with a little side of confidence. So this is a team game. This is not an I game. Um, so we want to have the confidence that we know what we're talking about. Um, but, you know, it's there's a, a saying that Haley and I always tell the team, which is, you know, or confidence is knowing what you bring to the table. Arrogance is thinking that you're the only one sitting there. So modesty, humility, little side of confidence. And then the last one is that we strive for team success, not just individual. So this is especially true in marketing. We have so many um, collaborative projects that if we get someone in there who doesn't understand teamwork, it throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. So yeah. we have to have someone who's team focused. Yeah, those are our core values. I'm so glad you asked. We just finished them. <laughs> that's exciting. No, I like <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. They're, that's uh, a sneak peek. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Appreciate you uh, airing them here for the first time. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully Haley's not like. I don't know. Hopefully I don't, I don't hear back about that one. <laughs> like we haven't even released the new ones to the team yet. Although there's nothing in there that will surprise them. So we're fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can hold this episode then if we need to. So it's fine. <laughs> Kelly, you and Haley have built something amazing. The team, I don't, you know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome what you've built as a company, the, the core values, the give, the community give back, how mm -hmm. you put clients first and just what you've built. I'm curious, do you, can you give any um, advice specifically to female entrepreneurs, women that want to start businesses and yeah. how, what advice do you have for, for women specifically? And how do we, how do we encourage more female entrepreneurs and success oh. stories? Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, a fantastic female entrepreneur coach. Her name is Julia Pimsleur. Um, I have her book somewhere. It's not on the shelf right above me, but um, I will send you the name of it later, but um, it's called Million Dollar Women. And it was the first book I read. Actually, the week that I started the business, I went out to Barnes & Noble and bought this book. Um, and it had something that I think speaks, I think it speaks to all entrepreneurs across the board. I think that women will especially relate to this um, because we tend to be a little bit more community focused, um, but it's all entrepreneurs across the board. But she said in her book, she said, you build like the Notre Dame, you don't build like the Eiffel Tower. And that has resonated with me um, since the day I read it. And she basically said, you know, you, you build with your support system around you. So like the Notre Dame, it, it has like visible support beams as it goes up. Um, and then the Eiffel Tower obviously goes up to a point. And she she made the point of like, if you're the only one and, and you don't build things with the proper support team, then you will be the bottleneck of your own company. Your time is finite. There's only so much you can do. You will bottleneck yourself. And so 
the first thing I did um, was just find the right team and find the right coaches because I don't know what I don't know. And there's a lot of people who know things more, you know, uh, they know more than I do. And so just, I found everyone that I could, and I just asked for help. Um, and people are so good about helping. I mean, my word, people are so kind, especially in the entrepreneur space. You know, I think we have this vision that it's so cutthroat and, and maybe it is, um, you know, I, I've run into a few people that weren't so helpful, but by and large, it's such a, a help and growth focused community of, of just like-minded people. So I say my best advice is ask for help, like know exactly what you want when you ask and just go for it because people will help you along the way. Fantastic advice. Completely agree. And you sitting down on this podcast, I think is a testament to that, right? You're giving back your time, talking about your story. So other people, other entrepreneurs can use that and take away things from this conversation. So I absolutely love that. And, you know, the concept of building that support support system around you versus building the business around just you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw so many colleagues um, who did, you know, and, and I don't know them well enough to know why, Um, but I just saw them burning out, right? Like this, like, you know, 3am burning the midnight oil, like have to work longer, harder than everyone else. And like, look, I love working and I will absolutely work the long, hard hours, but doing it because you don't have the support is very different than doing it because you love what you do. And you're choosing to put in a late night because you love the project you're working on. And I never wanted to be that person who was slaving away and forgetting why I was doing what I was doing. So that support system was crucial. I'm curious, how do you define success? Like, what does success look like to you? Man, we just did this exercise too. This podcast is going to be at the perfect timing. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, when I first started this, I was really tempted to like define it by like, oh, okay, we're going to hit a certain, you know, profit and, and revenue goals and all of that stuff is important. Um, then I got a little bit older and I had a kid and things changed. And so like my perspective on life changed. Um, I'd like to think that I'm a little wiser these days, but I think for me, like we sat down and, and really tried to define Haley and I tried to define what success was like, what is our goal for this? Um, and I think for us, it's all about, you know, at some point, like, how do we want to live our lives? Right. So like, we have no intention of not doing this business. This isn't like a a one-off lifestyle business for us. Like we love what we do. Um, but we don't want to be slaves to what we do either. And so we really had to figure out like, what is the life that we want to live and how can we fit the business into it and not the other way around? And so I think that has been, you know, in, in the life that we want to live will shift constantly. Um, but that's really been our definition of success is how do we make the business work for us and, and for the people on our team? You know, we, we try to have that principle across the board. We have a lot of young people on the team and for everyone on the team, like we had like three weddings um, in the last two years. And I say like three doesn't sound like a lot, but we're still a small team. So for us, it was a lot. Um, but everyone gets like a paid month off for their wedding because weddings are super stressful and you have a honeymoon afterward. And like, they're amazing, but it's, there's some stress planning weddings. Like we've all been there. Um, so everyone gets just like a month paid off because you shouldn't be trying to cram and work and plan. Like it's just, that's not a good quality of life. Um, And we give like a ton of mental health days and unlimited vacation, which everyone loves actually, Uh, you know, as long as you don't miss a deadline, you can take your vacation. Um, But yeah, you know, just trying to figure out what the life is that we want to live um, and then how the business can make that work and not the other way around. Yeah. I love that. And it sounds like you are not just saying these things, but you're also living by them. 
right? Mm. When you talked about your core values. And I think that that is, is absolutely key. And I can, I can feel it from the conversation and the business and <laughs> what you guys are doing. So uh, I think it uh, proliferates throughout the organization and I, I can feel just that energy from you. So. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, we have a good team. It's, it's really good to have a team where everyone's on the same page. It just makes a really big difference. And again, that's a testament to Haley and what she's built here. Uh, she is the queen of company culture. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great duo that you found. So <laughs> Kelly, one thing, so my focus is, is very much on financial well-being. Could you describe your relationship with money? Yeah, totally. So, um, we, so the first year in business, um, I will, you know what, I'm going to preface this by saying I had no idea how to financially run a business. So when we first started, I, like I said, I called myself a freelancer for the first couple of months and I charged a freelancer's rate. Um, so we actually were in a bit of a pickle in the first year, um, because my team had expanded and I had never changed the rate. So like we were breaking even on a good day. Like, I mean, like we weren't in the red, but we weren't super in the green either. Like it was, <laughs> it was a tight first year. Um, and so after the first year, I was like, okay, I clearly don't know what I'm doing with this. Um, and I want to be profitable. Clearly I want the business to be viable. And we obviously have the, the draw from clients. I'm just not doing this right. So we got a CFO um, and, you know, a fractional CFO. We had hired someone I, d- I didn't have um didn't have the profit margin to hire someone in. Um, but I was like, I know I need help here. So we got a financial coach. Um, and it was, it was helpful in a way, but I didn't really understand finances. Um, and so he would go through all these spreadsheets and my God, like, I just, I felt lost. Like I didn't, I did not feel empowered in any of that. (laughs) So I didn't feel like I owned it. And I actually had more stress coming out of those meetings than anything, because like, it doesn't matter what marketing strategy game plan you have for your business. If you don't know your finances, you don't really feel secure in anything. And so like, even Haley and I, we have a habit where in our leadership meetings, like we go over our books and we see exactly where we are from a cash flow perspective. Like we track everything the same way we do our household budgets, everything. Um, and we feel so much better about it because we know where we are and we're like, oh, okay, like everything's, everything's okay. Or like, you know, God forbid it isn't, we can stop the bleeding quickly. But, um, but yeah, so actually, um, so I had had this, this financial coach and it wasn't really doing us any good. And I was literally, and don't judge me for checking my emails, but I was in labor with my daughter and I had the desire to check my emails. I don't know why. Maybe I was like denying what was happening. I don't know. Head in the sands. And so I remember Ryan was like taking the phone out of my hand, but he did not get it out of my hand before I saw that my CFO had fired us while I was in labor and like, I was getting ready to go on maternity leave. And I was like, Oh, sweet Lord, what is happening? And so (laughs) it's like, you know what? I'm going to deal with this later. (laughs) And so I got back from maternity leave. I like, I didn't even touch it during maternity leave. I told Haley and I was like, whatever, like we're fine for the next few months. We're going to deal with this when I get back. So I got back and um, I reached out to Julia Pimsleur, who was our coach. And, um, and she gave me the name of Sharon McCann, uh, who's also up in, in the New York, Jersey area. And, um, and she does uh, fractional CFO services. And she has been the greatest hire that we have ever worked with. So she sits down with Haley and I week over week. And she really broke down, like, not just because I honestly, our budget leading up to this was like, how much do we have coming in? How much do we have going out? Like, it was very simple. And Sharon's like, 
no, okay. We like, we've got to track accruals and, and cash flows. And like, there was so much, like I had to learn how to use Excel. I'm a Google sheets kind of girl. And so um, <laughs> I now feel like I'm proficient in Excel, which I kind of hate, but there I am. Um, but yeah, no, she like broke it down for us to where we really felt like we were empowered. And so we would do like these, like these goal planning sessions that we had never really done. You know, we would talk about goals from like a client perspective, but now we were talking about them from a cash flow perspective. And we were like, okay, well, when we hit this threshold, we have to hire more. And, and we were like, like things were movable on the Excel sheets, but it's crazy to me. Um, but it was like, they have become my favorite meetings. I actually, we had a meeting with Sharon this morning at 11 and it was glorious. Like she took us from a dismal profit margin. I mean, like, unbelievably small to like, we're actually in the green and really healthy now. And like, we know what our pricing value should be. And she's training us in the EOS model. So it's not just the clients you get in, right? Like it's the efficiencies that you have that also affect profitability. So like we're looking at, um, we installed harvest time tracking and, and like, we have all of these systems now in place where everything just flows so smoothly. So we can actually scale well, and not be afraid of the finances. Like we actually, I love these meetings with Sharon now because I feel like I understand it and I understand how it relates to the health and growth of the business. Not just, oh God, are we like hitting payroll this month? Like it was in the very beginning, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's been a game changer for us. That's awesome. Yeah. And especially with services business, it's really, it can be really challenging to scale, if, especially if you don't have a good grasp right. on the numbers because- yeah. Can you afford to bring on a person? But you really need to, because that's how you scale, right? And that that was the conundrum that we were in constantly was like, I can go out and drum up sales, but are my people overloaded? Like we didn't really know where everyone's hours were. Like we hadn't done any time tracking. And so like now we have everyone on the team time tracking and we tell them all the time, like, this is not a micromanaging. I am not worried about my people working enough. Like we're all on the same page there. This is because we now know to run at an 80% uh, capacity because yeah. there will always be one-offs. There will always be new clients coming in and we need that 20% bandwidth to onboard new clients while we look for new hires. We can't be running everyone at max level and then getting in the pickle of, okay, we have a new client and no one can take it on. So then I'm working late hours and just basically what we used to do. And now we don't have to anymore because Sharon is amazing. Yeah. It goes against that first core value that you said, which is we don't miss a deadline. We don't miss a deadline. <laughs> Lord almighty, we do not miss a deadline. <laughs> uh, well, Kelly, this, is, this has been really, really insightful. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and if you were to give advice to an entrepreneur, so we kind of talked about what mm -hmm. to look for if you wanted to outsource mm -hmm. uh, or, or look to bring in an expertise within you know, the SEO arena, but what if, if someone was just starting out or hadn't really paid any attention to SEO marketing, social media, content marketing, where would you guide them to start or what, what resources would you suggest? Yeah. Um, so a couple of resources that are free and fantastic. Um, there's a company called Moz, M-O-Z. Uh, they have a ton of free SEO resources where you can like get a ton of training. Uh, they go off of all of the Google algorithms. So it is legit training. Um, so Moz and SEM Rush. So like SEO, but M is in marketing rush. Um, same thing, free resources for SEO. Um, we actually use SEM Rush for all of our reporting systems. They have a great database. So we trust them. Um, they're fantastic. But I think the biggest thing that I see when people start out, um, they clearly haven't worked with a marketing company. 
um, and they're just trying to do it on their own is that there's this really beautiful opportunity to market yourself based on what your client is actually looking for. And I know that that sounds very simple, but let me explain. So a lot of times people will just market their services or their product. And they forget that if someone doesn't know who you are, or if they don't know your services or your product, they're not going to be typing that into Google, um, or they're not going to be convinced that that's what they need when they get to your website. And so we tell people every single time we tell them the best thing you can put on your website is think about the three to five problems that you solve, right? So is it, you know, we work in the healthcare field. So like, is it like chronic pain, can't pick up your grandkids, um, you know, you, you used to play soccer, but now you can't because your, your hips are all out of joint and, you know, like there's like, you have old athletic injuries, right? Like we all, as student athletes, we all had those. Um, I know my shoulder still does weird things when I try to throw, it's fine. <laughs> but like, what are those three to five problems that you solve? Because the majority of SEO, um, queries or, or things that people type into Google search are issues, they're problems. And so if you're not marketing to problems, if you're just marketing your solutions and your fixes, then you're going to miss your market because people need to know that one, you need to have content that's picked up by Google in the first place, but people need to know that you see their problems that you understand because they're never going to buy from you if they don't think that you understand their issue. And then once you resonate with them on that level, then you can show them how you can fix it. But you can't just come in with a solution. It's like calling your mom if you have a problem. She's going to hit you with five solutions. And you're like, wait, mom, I just want you to listen to my problem, right? (laughs) So you've got to just listen to the problem and meet people where they are and then bring them with you. So what are those three to five problems that you solve for and start marketing there? That's fantastic advice. Yeah, it makes, it makes so much sense when you lay it out that way, but it's also so easy to be like, what do, yeah. we, what do we sell? Let's just talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. It's not user intuitive. It's, it's truly not. Um, but if you can do it, if, if you can implement this into your marketing strategy, it makes a huge difference. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sitting down and joining today. Uh, I, I want to leave you with the last word and then please let us know how we can uh, support you if folks want to reach out. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. This has been so fun. Um, I've done a few of these podcasts, but this is hands down the the most energetic one. I've had a great time here. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I would say if I have to leave someone with advice, I would say, um, you know, from a business perspective, whatever industry you're in, like always think about the user experience. So don't sacrifice it for extra keywords or a fancier website design or any, like you have to make users feel empowered when they visit whatever your site is. Otherwise, everything else that you do, it isn't going to matter if people don't feel empowered um, when they're on your site. It's the same way that you would converse with someone. If they don't feel great in your conversation, they're not going to come back and talk to you longer. So just treat people as if you are talking face-to-face with them. It's the same kind of feeling that your website should have. Um, but yeah, and then if people want to get in touch with us, uh, we actually do free brainstorming sessions. We started this during COVID um, when a lot of businesses were struggling and they didn't necessarily have the revenue to hire on marketing. Uh, we just didn't want to see businesses go down. So we started doing free 30-minute brainstorming sessions where you can come in with one key issue and we are going to problem solve it um, until we have a solution. It usually takes about 30 minutes because we've done this a lot. Um, so you can actually go to our website, burgeandco.com, and there's a sign-up sheet right there on the homepage where you can sign up for a free 30-minute brainstorming session to kind of kick you off with your marketing efforts. Awesome. 
That's a fantastic resource. It gives back to the community, the, the ethos of the business <laughs> and what you've built. So <laughs> it is a core value. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for, for sitting down today and sharing your story and experience. Uh, it's been well, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. On your way out, please share the podcast with others. It's the only way that the community grows and others hear these incredible stories from entrepreneurs and top performers. And of course, pound that subscribe button so you get notified when episodes drop every Friday. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Have a very profitable day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'm never